Anyway, with that said, glad you're here this morning. My name's Seth. I'm one of the pastors here at church, here, here at Crossroads. And uh, for those of you who have not met my wife, Angie, um, she was the one who was up here with me giving some announcements. So uh, thank you for your help this morning, because I would forget most of those announcements if she wasn't helping me. Yeah. All right, so I got a video for you. Let's go ahead and uh, take a look. So I'm not here this morning to, in, to, to uh, sell Disneyland tickets or anything like that. Some of you may be here this morning thinking, this isn't a very spiritual place. You just played a Disneyland commercial, right? But I, I just absolutely love this, this advertisement. I mean, do you see the look on those kids' face when, when that door opened up? I mean, it was, it was just awesome. Just the, the look on their face was just, just blew me away. And, and, you know, really, we re- relate to God the same way that these people were relating to these characters, Really, I mean, did you see the look on the, like the guy's face, the first guy on there, right? He, he shows up and he's walking by this, this, this uh, shadow box and he sees the character kind of walking along beside him. And what's he do? He just kind of ignores it. Just like, uh, what's going on? I don't know, right? Just, just kind of gets a little weird and keeps going. Other people, they, they interact with what's going on, right? And they're just having fun with it. They, they don't understand what's happening, but there's something going on behind this curtain that, that they don't really know, but they're just going to have fun with it. And then you have the skeptic, right, who walks by and looks at, it, looks at it and is like, I don't know about this, and then leaves. You even have the guy that tries to outdo the characters with his dancing, right? Yeah. I, I love that. And then all of a sudden, he just shows this guy up. And it's like, oh, he knows something. There he is. And then there's, then there's the big reveal when the, when the doors on the shadow box 
open up and, and the, the characters come out. It's just awesome. It just blows me away every time. Do you ever wonder what God's up to behind the scenes? I mean, do you? I mean, we go through stuff in life sometimes where I scratch my head and, and think, God, what are you up to? Because I can't, I can't see what God's doing all the time. Is anybody in here so spiritual you know what God's up to all the time? I have no idea. In fact, I have a giant book that has to tell me about it because I don't know. It's Bible. Yeah, I know. Some of you are like, what is this book? <laughs> I have to get me one of these. Yeah, it's, uh, it's the Bible. Yeah. But I wonder so often, what is God up to behind the scenes in my life? Because I, I just, sometimes I see him there, and it's like a shadow. Sometimes I don't, I don't know where he's at, and he'll pop up over here or pop up over there doing something profound and amazing. I mean, even last night, we're, we're taking our kids um, to, to some different churches around town, just, just going to get them candy and hang out, and, and I am not in pastoral mode. I'm in just like, I'm in dad mode, right? Look for weirdos. Chuck all the candy. Make sure nothing's opened, right? When, when they come walking back to you with a tray, a, a tray of cookies from the, the cakewalk, you know, make sure that they're, that they're, you know, not green or, you know, who knows. Make sure they don't have a razor blade sticking out of the side of them. And next thing I know, I'm talking to this, this um, woman who, who happens to be a friend of one of my kids uh, from a long time ago. And she's asking me some questions, and we're talking, and next thing I know, um, we're, she, she's emotional and um, just the Holy Spirit's just moving in this woman's life, and I'm just like, holy smokes, man, this is like even, even going on like right here. This is crazy. God is at work behind the scenes in people's lives that, that we don't see and that we don't know. In fact, the, the Lord may have, been, may have been just poking you a little bit this morning. Who knows? You know, in different areas, reminding us of different things, bringing us to different places, right? But we don't, we don't know everything that God's up to. Our relationship with God seems very much two-dimensional sometimes, doesn't it? Right? I mean, it's not, it, it's like, just like this shadow box commercial we just watched where we see a glimpse of what's, what God's doing, but yet we don't fully understand it. Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve. he said, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Pause for a minute. It says then, when? When Jesus returns. Okay, when you see that then, that means when Jesus returns. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, and then, again, when Jesus returns, I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And I love, I love the original in this. The, the, if you look at the, uh, the, the original Greek, it says this word for word. It says, though uh, through a glass in obscurity. Right? It just paints a little bit better picture of, of what this is talking about. It's not so much as, as a mirror as, as much as a shadow box, like the commercial we just watched, right? glass through obscurity. We see kind of this fuzzy view sometimes of what God's doing. At times, we can even wonder if God's at work at all. Maybe you can relate to, uh, relate to this guy, Dave, I talked to not too long ago. Here's a guy who, who loves God very much. Anybody here love God? Awesome. No show of hands. All right. Some of you guys are just proud of him. I love Jesus. Yeah. All right. So, Dave, here's a guy that that, uh, gave his life to the Lord in high school, was radically saved, and after high school, he went went to the mission field. He joined YWAM and went out to to evangelize the world. 
right? And while he was out there, he, he met another wonderful woman that was pursuing God uh, as, as, as fast as he was. I, I tell kids who are looking at relationships, I, I tell them, you know what? Run as fast as you can towards God, and if somebody keeps up, introduce yourself. Right? That's, that's what this guy was doing. This guy was just pursuing Jesus with everything in him, and he, and he, he met this wonderful woman. Uh, they got married. Um, they ended up um, adopting six kids from the places they, they went around the world and did missions in. The Lord would just drop kids on their heart. They don't have parents. Man, we're going we're gonna to take this kid and love him and show him the love of God, right? And they moved back to the States to, to raise their kids and put, put the mission on hold for a little while. Well, he had a job. He lost it. It got to the point where they were going to lose their house. He prayed every day, God, I need a job. And nothing opened up. And he continued to work part-time jobs here and there, you know, McDonald's, drive a school bus, all sorts of little things to, to meet the bills, but it still wasn't meeting the bills, right? He was working two or three part-time jobs. His wife was working, and they still were getting calls from the bank. Your, your house is going, going to go away. Well, I ran into this guy a, a few years ago and began to pray for him and pray for him and just wonder, man, God, how are you at work in this? Because this is so crazy, right? Some of you may be able to relate to that. Some of you might be able to relate to, uh, to Kathy. She's a woman whose, whose mom was diagnosed with a terminal disease. This is a person who, who really doesn't even have a, a, an in-depth relationship with Jesus. She kind of, she goes to church every now and then, but when this thing hit her family and she realized that, that her mom had, had six months left to live, she said, why, God? She cried out to God but she, because she didn't understand. How could, how could God take somebody so young at, at like 43 years old? It just doesn't make sense. Or what about Keith? This is a guy that, that loves the Lord. He's... he's probably close to my age, and, and he served in the church the, the majority of his, of his adult life. Loved the Lord, loved people, loved to serve, right? He'd, he'd go to church, and he, he'd serve. Uh, sooner or later, he, he got into a ministry position at the church, just loved God, loved to serve. And then over time, he was wounded by somebody who claimed to be an ambassador for heaven, Somebody who claimed to be a, a man of God did something that was, that was painful and to, to some seemingly unrepairable. And now Keith has a difficult time even going to church, much less serving. It's painful. Maybe you can relate to that. We go through so many different things in life. Every single person in this room has a different story. I just gave you three. I put some names to them that weren't even the real names. But these are people who I, who I know, who I've met. In fact, I met another woman last night that I told you about who had, has a completely different story. I have a story. You have a story, right? We all see God here and there, but we wonder through our circumstances, where's God at in all this? We try to wrap our minds around it, but it just doesn't seem to make sense. We see shadows of God at work here and there, and we know he's behind the scenes somewhere, but it's difficult, isn't it? Just like this video, someday the curtain's going to be pulled back, and that which has been shadows and obscurity will be bright and real and tangible. Did you know that? Someday. 
In fact, I want to read about it to you. This is uh, in the book of Revelation, chapter 21. It says this, God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There will be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done! I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the waters of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I love that verse. It paints such an awesome picture of what things will be like someday. I don't know about you. Anybody here ever cry? Right? I mean, I'm a grown man and I weep like a baby sometimes. Never in front of my wife. No sign of weakness. I think my kids saw me cry one time, and they're like, Dad, what's coming out of your face? And I was like, nothing, nothing. It's all right. Yeah, but you know what? It, someday the Bible tells us that God is going to wipe away every tear. Every tear. Isn't that amazing? Right? For those who have surrendered their life to God, there is a promise of hope, a promise of joy again. When God says, behold, I make all things new. And then he backs it up. So if somebody was like, well, yeah, who are you? He's like, I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. I was here before time. I created time. It existed in this little tiny window. And I'm going to be forever. And guess what? You can be too. He's making all things new. Man, there's such this awesome promise. Jesus is coming back and he's making all things new. And we get to be part of it. And I love that. Did you, out of 260 chapters in the New Testament, 318 uh, verses talk about the return of Christ. That's more than, uh, a little tiny bit less than one and a half times per chapter. It's a big deal. The return of Christ in the New Testament, the second coming of Christ, is a huge deal. It's, it's, it's a really big thing. It's a, it's a major event. Jesus talked about his return probably a third of the, the times that he talked. It was a big deal. It was a big deal to the church. It's a big deal to me. I can't wait, right? But we can, we can systematically, we can ask ourselves the question, well, is Jesus really coming back? I mean, is he really? So, so the New Testament says that he is and talks about it a lot, but is he really? In fact, there, there, there's a, a book or several books that address this very specifically in the Bible because people were freaking out. Where's he at? We can systematically examine the evidence for whether or not God is real. And we can come to uh, a place where we can say beyond a reasonable doubt that God is real. There's been books written on it. In fact, there's a really good book for you if, if you're into reading. Uh, it's written by an apologist and a rocket scientist. And it's called, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Phenomenal book, not based on the Bible, that gives the evidence to defend God, Jesus, the Bible, eternity, without using the Bible as reference. Right? There is a, a massive amount of evidence for 
there being a God, for God being the God of the Bible, for the Bible being accurate, for God having a plan to save mankind, for Jesus being that man, and Jesus being God, come to earth to be the sacrifice for our sins because we can't be good enough. Right? The, there is a massive amount of evidence beyond a reasonable doubt. Intellect will never lead you to God. I'm going to tell you right now. If you're, if you're looking for intellectual reasons to say, yes, I believe in God, you'll never get there. Because it's a heart thing. It's a faith thing. Right? The Bible says the just will live by faith. We have to cross the line from intellect into faith at some point. Right? We can get right up to the edge of the water with intellect and say, I've got all sorts of evidence. I can, I can prove this. I can prove that beyond a reasonable doubt. But it's faith that takes you in. It's faith that moves you to the place where, where now you can walk in abundant life and you can be free of sin and you can be full of hope and life and joy and peace like you've never known it. And you can be at a place where you can say, someday every tear is going to be wiped away and everything's going to be made new in my life. It's faith that takes you there, right? But listen, as far as intellect goes, we don't need to go any further back, really, in our exploration than the resurrection, right? To, 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 come, to, to, to come to terms with God, right? The resurrection is where it's at. Is Jesus really coming back? Let's go back to the resurrection, okay? If, if uh, let me pause for just a minute. I want to go on this bunny trail just over the river and through the woods, but I'm not going to. I'm going to wait. I'll save it for another time. But if we go back to the resurrection, essentially, we know this. If Jesus, who said, I'll be back on the third day, was killed and came back the third day, and also said, I'll be back again for my church, we can bank on him coming back. Right? We can bank on him coming back. In fact, there's a quote I want to read to you by, by a guy named Sir Lionel Lucku. He, he is the Guinness Book of World Records holder for the most uh, cases won consecutively of uh, 245 cases. This is what it says. He, he was a defense murder trial, and he has 245 acquittals. And it says this, I have spent more than 42 years as a, as a defense trial lawyer appearing in many parts of the world, and I'm still in active pra- practice. He's dead. I have been fortunate to secure a number of successes in jury trials, and I say unequivocally, the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof, which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. The person who said that knows evidence. Not only does he know evidence, he knows evidence better than any trial lawyer in the world at this time. In fact, I think he still holds the record, and he died in like 1992, right? This guy knows evidence, and he, before he was a believer, began to examine the evidence for the resurrection and came to the conclusion, Jesus is who he said he was. Jesus rose from the dead. I have to come to terms with that now, and he did. He gave his life to Jesus and, 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 and became an, a Christian apologist to take to the world the evidence for the resurrection, But here's what I want to talk to you guys about today. Where do we go in the meantime? 
right? So here we are, we, we wrestle with where we're at in our life, right? We, we see God as through a shadow box sometimes. We have the promise of the resurrection. We have the promise of a new life, of God making all things new, don't we? What do we do in the meantime? Because here we are, stuck in between, aren't we? We're, we're, we're in between. We're right here in the middle, sitting here on, on, on what is it, November 1st? Is that what it is? I don't even know the date, right? We're, we're, here we are, November 1st. It's Sunday morning, and could Jesus come back right now? Yes. Absolutely. Yep. Come on back, Jesus. Please. But we don't know when he's going to come back, right? And one of the things even Jesus said about his return was that no one knows the day or the hour. So here we are in the meantime. What do we do? I believe that Jesus gave us an answer. Because I need one, don't you? All right, if you've got your Bible, we're going to look at, at uh, Luke chapter 12. I believe that Jesus gave us three things to do while we wait. And so I want to take a look at those things this morning. Luke chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 32. This, here's a, a, a section that starts actually back in Luke chapter 12, uh, verse 13. Jesus is with a crowd, and he's addressing this crowd, and a person decides to pipe up in the middle of Jesus talking and say, Hey, Jesus, tell my brother to share his inheritance with me. And Jesus' focus begins to change. And he addresses this man, and, he, and he, basically he addresses, he addresses covetousness. See, this man is wanting something that's not his. Anybody ever done that before? No hands, right? I don't know about you, right? But, so Jesus begins to address covetousness in this man's life, right? But he also begins to talk about the kingdom. And that's what I want to look at today, because there's... there's a, we could spend two weeks talking about the, the thing that Jesus is addressing about covetousness, and it's, it's profound. It's really, really awesome, deep stuff that we can explore, but I want to talk about what's on the, on the fringes of that today. And here we are in verse 32. It says, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And then he goes on, Sell what you have and give alms. Provide for yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that do not fail, where neither thief approaches nor moth destroys for where your treasure is there your heart will be also and most of your bibles there's a pause and a new title that says uh something along the lines of the faithful servant and the evil servant right there's a break there most of you know this but i'm just gonna gonna say it anyway in the original there's no break there right verse verse 35 and verse 34 run together this is all part of the same topic Right? This, is, this is where you could take out that title and put a so or a therefore because he is talking right now about the same, the same principle from verse 32, which is the kingdom. And he says this, Let your waists be girded and your lamps burning, and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master. When he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and then sit down to eat. I'm, I'm sorry, hang on a second. I say to you that he will gird himself and, and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. Everybody say this with me. Girded. girded. Lamps, burning. Lamps burning. Watching. There's three things that Jesus gave us that, that we're to be doing. Right, while we're waiting, 
for the promise of awesomeness, right? And these are the three things right here. Let your waist be girded, keep your lamp lit, and be watchful. What does it mean? Actually, let me back up for just a minute. Let me see if, I, if, if there's something else I wanted to hit on here. Nope, we're good. All right, moving on. The first thing, right? Let our, let our, let our waist be girded, right? We, some of your Bibles say to, to gird up your loins. That's just a weird phrase, right? That just does not make sense these days. We say that and everybody blushes. Can you say loins in church? I mean, this is one of those weird phrases that sometimes we, we don't really have a grasp on because our culture is different than, than the, the culture was when Jesus was here. But really the phrase, it was a common phrase that said, said to gird up your loincloth. What that essentially meant was everybody was wearing robes and loincloths, and when they were just going about their day, they, their robe was hanging down and all was well, and they were just looking, looking very awesome. But if they had to run somewhere... It got interesting. I mean, just ask Cinderella, right? I mean, she lost a slipper because of the same thing, right? So girding up your loincloth essentially meant you were going to take your, your robe and your loincloth and you were going to bunch it together and you were going to pull it up between your legs. If you were cool, you'd pull it up from the back. If you were just, you know, in a hurry, you'd grab it and pull it up from the front and you'd tuck it into your waistband. Essentially, it looked like you were wearing baggy shorts, I imagine these people looked really ridiculous. and in, in fact, this probably gave way to the invention of shorts. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you guys are getting the thought. You know what I'm talking about. Thank you, Lord, for shorts. I'm just going to pause, throw that out there. Yeah. It was a way of preparing themselves for action, right? If you were running with a robe on, you're going to trip on whatever's around you. Right? Somebody could step on it, or you would step on it and fall on your face. Right? This was a, 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 an action that you did when you were preparing to do something with purpose, with intent. with, with uh, You know what I mean? I mean, they were going to get busy. They were getting it on. I had this kid in a uh, uh, youth group. I was a youth pastor for a little while, and I, I had this kid uh, who... Um, this this guy would come come to come to our youth group just kind of exploring things out checking out checking out God checking out you know this whole Christian thing and um, this guy wore his pants lower than anybody I'd ever seen he wore those suckers down around his knees and and he was in all, for all intents and purposes he believed he was a thug right I mean he was a gangster he knew all the gang signs he dressed like a gangster and he showed up and I'd be like. Hey, man, thanks for coming. I'm glad to see you. Yeah. It's cool. And, and we would talk, and we, we built a little bit of a relationship o- over the course of a few months. And, and so one day I, I asked him, okay, man, why do you have your pants hanging down like that? Do you know where that idea came from? Yeah. All right, man. And he, he would always tell me about how tough he was and, and how he always is, you know, fighting all these people. And, and he was just a, just a real gangster, right? And I didn't see him for about two, three weeks. And finally, he came back to church one day, and uh, he had this big old, just gnarly black eye. And I was like, dude, what happened? And he says, he says, he says, man, I got beat up. See, the thing is, I, what I told him just before that, I was talking to him about his, about his pants. Just, you know, when you, when you have a relationship with people, you can talk to them about all sorts of stuff, right? 
I mean, this it just opened the door. So I told him, look, man, you know what's going to happen? You're going to get in a fight, and you're going to trip over your pants, and you're going to get a beaten. And he's like, no. Well, a couple of weeks later, I saw him. He had this big old, big old raspberry on his face, and I said, I said, I said, dude, what happened? And he says, I was getting off the bus, and I got in a fight, and I tripped on my pants. <laughs> After that, I never saw his pants down around his waist, down around his knees ever again. But what's funny is he always still wore the same pants. He just pulled them up. And so he was always walking around holding his pants up like this. Right? They were like high water. In, I mean, they were like way the heck up there because he just didn't want to go out and get normal pants. I mean, it, was, it, was, it was hilarious. It was great. But he wasn't prepared for action, right? He wasn't, in a sense, girding up his loincloth. He was after that. But this is what this is saying, to gird up our loins, right? Uh, the second thing is to keep our lamps lit, right? We, we've got a, we hear scriptures that talk about being a light on a hill, right? Being a, a, a lamp to shine brightly. In fact, there's a scripture that, that even says, God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, right? We've all heard that. And that's about shining brightly and following God's word, right? These are extra extroverted things, right, where we're following God. But this scripture is talking about something different. This is painting a picture of a house, of servants in a house having the lamps lit inside. This is very introspective, what Jesus is saying here about lamps being lit. Right? This isn't out shining around in the sense of evangelism. This is introspective examination, a lamp that would light the dark corners of places, right? And, and the next thing is we're to be watchful, full of anticipation, because any minute, any minute, God could show up. Any minute, Jesus could, could, could show up. Any, any minute, the master of the house could show up from the wedding is what this is talking about. So as we're waiting, what are, what are we going to do with these things? So here, Jesus is talking to a group of very specific people about a master coming home, and he gives a story. But Jesus is also speaking very prophetic to his church. And so I want to I say today, we're going we're gonna to examine what is Jesus saying for us today through this, through this section about how we're to live. So everybody say this with me. Gird up, Gird up. light up, light up. And, look up. and look up. One more time. Gird up, light up, look up. Turn to somebody beside you and say one of those things. Exactly. And now you feel weird, don't you? Do I say gird up? Because then that's like girding in church. That's weird. And light up. I'm not a smoker. I don't know what to do. I feel paralyzed. We got to gird up. We got to light up and we got to look up. All right. The first one of these I want to talk about is girding up. Listen, because of our difficulty, some people have lost hope, or given up on the idea that the power of God could be at work in their circumstances. I'm going to say that one more time. Probably not in those exact words because I'm not reading my notes right now. There are some here today who have given up on the possibility that God would want to work in power and in the miraculous in their current situation. There are some who have given up on the calling of God in their lives because of some circumstance 
something that happened throughout the course of growing up where reality didn't line up with the way we thought things would go as we pursued Jesus. And somehow, throughout the process, we become derailed. There was a time in my life where I'd been walking with the Lord for a long time, and uh, it came to the point where all of a sudden I found myself in my soul as though I were sitting on the side of Mount Rainier on a rock, socked in with fog, and had no idea where God was, where to go, what direction to move. All I could do was sit because there were things happening in my life that I could not explain. That I thought, God, I've got this good relationship with you. Why is this happening to me? Why is this going on? If God were real, and I know that he is, this wouldn't be happening, would it? No hands, but have you ever asked yourself that question before? Have you ever felt socked in in the fog in your relationship with God? Where, again, it's though we're seeing him through a shadow box, right? We see God around us as though on the other side of fog, moving around, doing things, but we don't have any idea what because it's not affecting me. Right? We pray for the miraculous and nothing happens the way that we hoped that it would. The way that we believed it would because that's what we heard in church. Or that's what we heard from a, a preacher on TV or somebody said something that indicated to me that's how this should go. The Lord had given me a word the other day um, and I, I wrote it down and I'm telling you there's a demon in my computer because I, I typed this, I was sitting in my computer and I typed up this, this word from the Lord. I don't even know who it was from. The Lord just spoke this thing to me. I thought, this is, I gotta write this down. Typed it up. My computer died. Like, I don't know, 20 minutes later. And when I got it charged back up and, and booted back up and everything, the word had recovered all the files except that one. And I was like, where's it at? And so I was looking all over the place for this thing. But essentially, I'm going to try to sum this up because this might be for somebody here. I don't know. Essentially, this said something along the lines of there, are, there is somebody who... It's for another time. I'm just hearing from the Lord, man. It's for another time. Okay, moving on. Do you still expect the miraculous in your families, in your communities, or in your school? Have you given up on the possibility that you could be the one that God has chosen to work through for this place or for this time? See, I'm just reading that right now, but let me tell you from my heart. How many of you still believe God for the miraculous in your life? How many of you have said, you know what, I just don't see it? I'm encouraged by going to church, but I just don't know that it's going to happen. How many of you are at a place today where you still feel like, you know what? I believe God to move in our schools. I believe God can move in power and the miraculous, in the giftings in the Holy Spirit in my church and in, and in our schools. How many of you pray against suicide in this community? How many of you know that in this high school here, there's a suicide every year for the last, I don't even know how many years, Right? It's done. Who's ready to pray for it? We've got to start believing God for the miraculous in our community. We've got to start again believing God for the miraculous in our lives. Not just the miraculous, but spirit-filled moves of God to empower us and embolden us in our faith and in our walk with Him. Believing God for gifts of the Spirit. 
that sometimes we want to say, well, those are just for Bible times because I haven't seen with my own eyes God move like that yet. We need to begin to believe again. There are some here that have put belief on the shelf because their circumstances have dictated their faith. And I think the Lord would say to you today, dust it off. Dust it off because he wants to move. He wants to refill you and revitalize you. And he's saying today, gird up. Get off the spiritual couch and stand in strength again and prepare yourself. Those of you who who felt a call from God when you were young, he hasn't shelved that. You have. Begin to own it again. Some of you have been derailed by the process. You were young and you prayed and said, God, I want to be part of this move of God that you're doing in our schools and our community in my life. Lord, I want to be that person who changes the world, who changes my community. But through the process of being young and praying and asking God to be part of that, didn't realize that the process by which he would shape you to be that world changer would take time and it would be painful. It wouldn't be quick. It wouldn't be fast food. It would take you until your 30s, into your 40s, 50s, 60s to be that person that God has shaped for that time and that season to make an impactful difference in your community. He had to develop you. But yet you got derailed in the process and are sitting in the fog thinking, where do I go? And I want to tell you this morning that from the Lord the fog is going to clear we've got to begin to believe again for the possibility that God is bigger than our circumstances and he's not through with you even though you've thrown in the towel on yourself Isaiah 40 verse 31 says but those who wait upon the Lord will find new strength and they will soar high on wings like eagles sometimes we get a little bit ahead of God instead of waiting for him because we think, God, I'm, I'm done with that plan. I'm just going to move on to something else that, that I feel more comfortable with or that I understand. And God would say we need to wait, right? Our attitude will determine our altitude. Our attitude towards the things of God will determine your ability to see from heaven's perspective and move out towards faith. Our attitude will determine our altitude. We get cynical, don't we? We get bitter, we get cynical, we get, we get angry at God. It doesn't push God away, right? But what we do is we stop. You know, one, a really good thermometer about where we're at is, is grace, right? When we're spending more time being cynical than being grace-filled, there, there's uh, something that should tell us that we've got a fever, right? We need to be full of grace, but that's, that's for another time, right? Light up. We've got to... Uh, Examine our own hearts. Listen, this is what this is talking about. We need to light up, right? We're lighting up our own lives, our own hearts, and we're seeing the, the corners inside of our own life. See, what happens is when we start to gird up and we start to live with purpose again, the enemy has already crept in into dark corners where he wants to set hooks. And essentially, when we begin to rise up, the enemy says, you can't do that because of this thing over here. Habits. I'm talking about habits that if we began to walk in faith again 
Maybe these habits would condemn you. Right? Those are the things that God would say, look introspectively today and examine the dark corners. I had a hamster get loose in my house one time. It's okay, honey, not this house. When I was a kid, hamster got loose. And uh, we kind of ignored it, me and my brothers, for a little while. And then pretty soon, this thing was leaving little hamster messes around all over the place. And my parents were like, something stinks. I don't know what that is. And then pretty soon, it started getting to me too. So you know what we did? We geared up. We got pellet guns. And we went around the house hunting these things. Right? That's what God is calling us to do. Because pretty soon, sometimes as we pursue God, we develop habits. Some things that are sin that begin to stink. And they begin to rot in our soul, right? And we know we got to get rid of those things, but we just ignore it because we're just too busy being cynical and and our faith is shelved. God's calling us, get the pellet guns out. Right? Go hunting for the devil. Seriously. Joshua 3.5 says, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. We need to believe again that when we begin to set ourselves apart for the work of God, He's going to blow your stinking socks off. Get ready for it. James 4, 7, submit to God, resist the devil, and he must flee. The first step towards getting free of those things, the Bible says, is to submit to God. Right? We submit to God. What do we do? We humble ourselves and say, God, I've got this thing, and I know it's not pleasing to you. Forgive me for this thing. I'm submitting it to you. Help me to be different. And then we resist the enemy when that thing tries to come knocking on the door. Right? We resist. And then what happens? The enemy has to flee. And I've said this to you before, but when the enemy begins to recognize that the very thing he's trying to use to destroy you with and hold you back with is the very thing that God begins to use and shape you to become a person of faith and, and, and radicalness for the things of God, he'll leave you alone. Right? Every single time something comes up and we submit that to God, pretty soon he's going to stop harassing you with it because God's going to use it to shape you. And the last thing I want to talk to you about, and it's quick, it says, now watch and see what God does. We need to look up. We need to begin to, to expect things from God. Begin to look at God with an expectancy. Look at our own situations with expectancy that God's going to do something as we gird up and as we clean out. Right, we light up. It says this in, in Hebrews chapter 12, and then I'm going to invite Eric. In fact, Eric, if you want to go ahead and make your way up here while I read this. It says this, Therefore strengthen your hands which hang down and your feeble knees and make straight the path for your feet so that what is lame may not just be dislocated but rather healed. I believe today, church, that God wants to bring healing to these areas where we've become apathetic, we've been, become critical, we've become faithless and hopeless. And I believe that God wants to call you out and bring healing to those things and bring renewed purpose. Can we believe that today? Can we believe that today? All right, let's pray. Father, we just want to submit to you today. Lord, every lie that we've believed from hell that our circumstances are going to define us. And Lord, we want to look with faith, believing that as we gird up, Lord, as we begin to renew the purpose that you've placed in us, 
And as we examine our lives introspectively, Lord, for areas where the enemy has set hooks and habits, Father, we give those to you this morning. And Lord, we ask that you clean house. Father, help us to look expectantly upon you. Father, help us to look at our own circumstances expectantly for you to move in the miraculous. Lord, thank you for the promise of tomorrow that every tear will be wiped away, that everything's going to be made new. And Lord, help us to believe that we can have a piece of that now because Jesus said it's called abundant life. Every eye closed, every head down. If you can believe today that God wants to work in your circumstances. Will you just slip your hand up this morning? If you're questioning it, you think, you know what, I just, I just don't know. I just don't know. Slip your hand up. Come on, be brave, own it. Father, I pray right now for every hand around this room. Lord, I'm not even looking. Jesus, you know every heart and every hand. Father, I pray for supernatural healing within their souls in the name of Jesus that would begin today. And Lord, we would see the evidence and fruit of that Lord, maybe not tomorrow, but sometime in the near future, Jesus, as we gird up, as we light up, and as we look expectantly upon you. In Jesus' name. I'm going to have the ushers come on up and hand out the elements of communion. sorrows, Lamb of God, by His own betrayed, the sin of man, the wrath of God, has been on Jesus' lips.
got to take communion together, and, and I love what, what Seth brought. Just amazing word. Um, one thing I'm reminded of whenever we take communion is, is yes, we remember the sacrifice that Jesus paid on the cross. You know, he says to his disciples, do this in remembrance of me. And then he goes on to say, this is my body broken, this is my blood poured out for you. But at the same time, whenever I take communion, I think not only the sacrifice he paid, but what that means today. It means fixing my eyes on Jesus. It means, it means that, that I have hope for today as I fix my eyes and remember Christ, what he's doing currently, what he's doing behind the scenes, and what he's going to do in the future. And we're about to sing this, this uh, part of this song that says, Oh, my debt is paid. It's paid in full. And so as we're, as we're, as we're here right now, let's just go ahead and, um, and take, the, take the bread. And this represents Christ's body broken. Just remember him. Remember his sacrifice, what he's doing right now. We thank you. We thank you for, for your sacrifice. And then... Would you go ahead and take the take the juice and this represents the blood of Christ. No debt is too big to be paid by this. Lord God, we just thank you. Lord God, we thank you that despite our current circumstance, despite what we leave here having to face, Lord God, that you have overcome. And that's just the message I keep on hearing this morning is that you've overcome in everything. And so would you guys go ahead and stand? We're going to leave singing this bridge that says, Oh, my debt is paid. It's paid in full. And would you guys believe that as we leave here? Thank you, Lord. My debt is paid. It is paid in full. By the precious blood. In my Jesus' spilled. Now the curse of sin. Stone is 